<laughs> it's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. Seat placement, John. Seat what placement. What does that even mean? Seat placement. So, uh, you and Lindley. Are we going to start this over? You and Lindley have two vehicles. Kim and I have two vehicles, and uh, we have <laughs> exhaustively talked about our Mustangs, which we love, and my mm-hmm. 2017 Mustang GT 5.0. Um, you know, I generally drive. It's a stick shift, black convertible. It's just the greatest car I've ever had. Kim loves to drive it, and then we have the Ford Expedition over there, which is she ends up driving. So you have two cars too. Mm-hmm. Now, when I get in my Mustang and the seat is all the way forward, I can't get in. Oh, this so, I, I don't have that problem, and it's it, very simple. You know why? Why my wife refuses to drive. Your my car. 2020 Roush Stage 2 Mustang convertible. Uh, she refuses to drive it. Yeah. And so, Too loud. problem solved. She hates that thing. So, is that what you do? You are get we car- taking the Chris Craft boat again? Yes, we are. Your wife sounds like Jeff Fisher. You know? <laughs> so Minus the mustache. But when I get in her I car, think. it's the same thing. It You know, I just give the look as I put my I drink in I the thing. And I stare like this seat. I don't go forward. Um, is it an issue elsewhere? No is it wonder just you you you, uh-huh. you just had your colonoscopy. We revealed that, uh, but you you also said that you have you uh, have high blood pressure, right? And so uh, it's shocking it's that, that you have an issue with that. Maybe it's the seat. Is there a reason What's why that should be that? on a one to ten? That should be like a one. Yeah. Well, well, get over it. Okay, so we've discussed. You've this also been before. married thirty years. This has come up before when you're putting a, a silverware in the dishwasher. You know, fork up or fork down. Fork's got to be down. Down. Uh, yeah. It's got to be up. I agree down. For yeah, her, because I up. want to go to the me, emergency at 3 a.m. after I've been drinking and uh, Saturday night. We're going to ask our guest these uh, questions to see if uh, his creativity can bring an answer to this. On we go! All right. See? Hey, we know people. Let's take a spin through Joe and John's Rolodex. There's nothing wrong with that. Who we got? Hey, we're on the K today. Will Kimbrough. Will Adams Kimbrough mm-hmm. is in the studio. I is. And uh, from Will and the Bushman, maybe you've seen him playing with Emmylou Harris. You've probably heard his song, sung by Jimmy Buffett. Uh, a very successful musical career. I've known Will for 30 years in some way, passing and uh, with the different bands he's been on. Just a terrific guy. And here he is on the second cup of Joe. And John. Will, welcome. My wife, Jessica. Yeah. When we were in Scottsdale recently for a benefit for Alice Cooper's foundation. Yeah. Nice. With Rudy Sarzo. Oh. Johnny A. The big one. But also our neighbors in East Nashville, Chris Donahue and, and Brian Owings. She borrowed the host's Mustang convertible five speed. And drove it off in the, the F Grand all Canyon. over Scottsdale. Yeah. And she did not care at all. She's five feet tall she in is heels. Tall. <laughs> really? She pulled that seat up to the wheel. Yep. Put he, it in first. The dashboard. And scratched out of there and reversed. Yeah. So it was a stick shift? Oh, yeah. Oh, So yeah. I just wanted to throw that in in the spirit of the over under of the conversation. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's kind of hot. Did she like move that. the seat back when she got out so you could get in and drive? No, nah, it was, it you know, it was a, 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 in, I would say near mint condition, say 2013. That's just been sitting in that garage oh, getting tinkered with. And nice. the owner is a guy from Canada. That's got 
like sports cars. Yep. That's his like go to the grocery store car. He's like a you know. A, uh, how was how Alice? And what Alice Cooper obviously is not his name, and we know that. Vincent, I call I call him Vince. The v, call I call him, him V Dog. He's like one of the coolest dudes ever. A big that? golfer, well, right? When you I didn't really get to hang out with him that much then, but I'll tell you this. In nineteen eighty nine in Bearsville, New York, in the studio, the studio assistant popped their head into our session making our album and said, Will anybody play, please play ping pong with Alice Cooper? Uh, so Sam Baylor and I, okay. the, the late great Sam Baylor yeah. from my, my band, great songwriter. Uh, who passed away in 2015. Um, we went and played doubles with Alice Cooper and Richard Goderer, who's our producer, who also produced Blondie and Richard Hell and the Voidoids and Marshall Crenshaw and the Go-Go's. And so all these rock and roll stuff going on around us when we were in our early to mid-20s. Play ping pong with Alice Cooper. Ping, ping, I'm not sure ping pong and Alice Cooper have ever been in the same sentence. Is but he that's good? good. Alice likes he ping pong. He likes, he, well, he couldn't play golf. We're in, we're in Woodstock, Bearsville. There's no golf course right there for him. Yeah. He wants so he to play to, a game. Yeah, he needs to scratch. He's a gamesman. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. why do you play doubles? Isn't that too tight on a ping pong table? Well, because we both ran out to play with him. And then Richard Goddard came out. It just seemed like the thing to do. It's a long time ago, Joe. Ah. Isn't it, I can make up an answer. Then. So what's what's the studio up there? Bearsville. That's that's a huge recording place, is it not? Yeah, I don't even know if it's there anymore. Right. But uh, I, you know, uh, why was it big or a place? Because it was in Woodstock. Well, when uh, it was, it's called Bearsville because the guy who started it was Albert Grossman, who was known as the Bear, and he was the manager of Bob Dylan, Janis Joplin, and the band. And so when he started the studio, when he moved up there from New York City, because it's just two hours away. So Dylan moved up there. Grossman moved up there. The band is up there. Big Pink is there. Music from Big Pink, their album, their first album, was recorded in a pink house. It's still there. I think you can rent it on VRBO now. <clears throat> but it was still there then. We saw, you know. And so all these people from New York had moved there because it was, it was like East Nashville when I moved here, which is a cheap place to live not far from where you needed to be. Yep. And none of, none of that is true in Nashville anymore. Are you probably in not Nashville now? No, I'm no. not. I'm not. They kick you out where you're not cool enough anymore and they, they kicked you out? Because I'm very I'm very close to that. My wife and I were... I transcended. I made it cool and then left. Yeah. Uh, you're the reason. Yeah, it's not okay, cool anymore. That. John, I meant to tell you, it's not that, cool. <laughs> you didn't know that? No, I, I, I'm behind the times. Well, obviously. Yeah. yeah. You what? live here. What band Jesus. was that for you Will, that you were recording up there? Was that Will and the Bushman? Will and the Bushman. Okay. So, there, yeah, there's a whole... I mean, I've jumped way ahead in the story, but uh, I just heard Mustang and Alice Cooper, and I just had to drop names. <laughs> why, why Bushman? Speaking of names. Well, we had a book a about story. the Australian Bushman. Uh -huh. Our bass player did. He had this little... Okay, let me just go back to this. We're from <laughs> the Gulf Coast, Mobile, Alabama. Mm -hmm. And so when I started that band, I had been in this band called Ground Zero, and my goal had been to play our own songs and put out records. Because when I was uh, maybe 18, January 1982, we opened for R.E.M. at the Sanger Theater in Mobile. Nice. And so this was, they only had one record out. It's called Chronic Town. It's a five-song EP. And a lot of people know it. A lot of people don't. A lot of people think R.E.M. started in, like, 1990. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so... They had a five-song record out. They played the college concert at the theater downtown in Mobile. We got to open. So I got to see guys come in that looked like me, 
their van was crappy. Peter Buck's amp was blown up. He had to borrow mine. He had an attitude about it later. I was like, hey, how'd you like the amp? He was like, it was okay, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Get off the stage. But they were, they were great. And their, chemi- they were, their chemistry, it was, it was the early REM where they're jumping around on stage and jangling. And it's super high energy. It's not hard rock, but it's right. high energy. Yep. Big time. Yep. And um, so I was like, oh, not only am I doing this, but I see some people doing it that are like written up in Rolling Stone. And the very, that very month, they went and made their first album, Murmur. Which, and that sent them, you know. Was that Radio Free Europe? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, so we got, I got to see, so that really was the thing. You, If you've ever read the books about punk rock or English rock and roll, you know, you know that everybody saw uh, the Ramones play in like 1975 or something like that in England. Everybody was there that ever was in an important punk rock band. Sex Pistols guys, Clash guys, whoever. They were all there. And they, they, they had the same experience. It was like, oh, they're just guys. They're not good looking. They're not that great. But together, they're great. And I can, I, you know, they're not wearing expensive clothes. No roadies. I can do this. It was very important for me. And the first thing that I had happen to me like that was on my 12th birthday. I got a guitar, like a $20 guitar. And I got a $4.50 ticket to see Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band at oh. a thousand seat theater. They played two nights in Mobile. Mobile had a great radio station, so that tells you about how much great radio meant back then. Sure, that that we had an FM station that was playing the Born to Run and the first uh, the first two records before that, the Springsteen records. And so when I was eleven, I had all three Springsteen records. There were only three. I had them, and so because I, I heard them on the radio, not because, and I could turn over the couple of do- clicks over on the dial and hear top forty, but I could hear. Springsteen, Elvis Costello, Zappa, Cream, the Almond Brothers Band, Joe Jackson, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Was that an AM or FM? FM. Uh, AOR kind of album? Absolutely. And every night they played an album. They called it Slack Time, and they had a guy who said, Slack Time. Tonight we're going to play uh, Steely Dan Asia. I'm going to take a smoke break out in the alley. I'll I'll be back in 45. So when you're a little kid and you like music, (laughs) you don't just want to hear. So I could hear all the really popular stuff anytime I wanted. And of course it was also a great time for Southern rock and on the Skinner. If you play guitar, you learn how to play guitar. Almond Brothers, Skinner, ZZ Top right there. You can learn pretty much everything you need to do for the rest of your life right there. And it was the era pre intranet. And so everything was creative. Every album that came out, all you knew about the band was what was on that album. And like, Oh, the guys look different now. And, and that was so inspiring. It was total theater of the mind. Right. And I think, uh, maybe comment on that because you are such a veteran of that era as that was our era of, uh, you played, you, uh, it, Anybody could make a record. Your goal was to join, to get in a band, A, yeah. write your own songs, B, and then make a record right away. Yeah. And REM really was the front runner of that. Uh, yeah. of, they proved that success came their way and they were able to run that longevity. You know, when you and I were in the uh, CMJ charts right. in those era, these What's other CMJ? Uh, college music journal. I'm so out of my depth. So here's how bands made it. That was my government cheese era. That was Wilm the Bushman era. You made a record and uh, you tried to get college stations to play it. And there was probably 2,000, 3,000 stations across the country that it was re- amazing that reported. So they had a CMJ, the, the college music journal, and they had a chart. And so in the in that day, you had Billboard and Gavin and CMJ. And the top 20, usually bands and CMJ 
DMJ would translate to the Gavin or Billboard. And so in our era, uh, these bands you've never heard of were in the same chart as us, like U2, Red Hot Chili Peppers, R.E.M. They were considered all... Jane's Addiction. Jane's Addiction. We were alternative music. Smithereens. Because real radio was that era was Guns N' Roses, Bon Jovi. We You didn't fit. And then grunge hit and that was really like the covid rearrangement of rock and roll where now the gates were open yeah. for all these alternatives that, that's, that was a great answer will i mean there was a question there wasn't there um, or that, i mean didn't, didn't you ask originally um, ask a question and then you, you did went of where did he get will and the bushman okay. by the bushman we had a, we had a book about bushman <laughs> here's i mean i will say this i i can be like i've been doing this for so long yeah. that it can just go on forever yeah. because I mean, I started in the seventies and, and not, that was yeah. when I was a kid, but I mean, we gigged every week. Yeah. So after I saw Springsteen, May 1st, 1976, six months later, I played, there were two roller rinks in mobile that had bands every Saturday and they paid you 150 bucks. Oh, which was remember first time you played oh, CBGBs yeah. and you and you, just, you owed them fifty bucks. That's right. So you know you you finally make it to New York and you make you know negative one thousand two hundred fifty percent of what you made at, when you were twelve at the skating rink. Yeah. And that shows you that's rock and roll. You know, it's like you want to do this, or you you might have to pay to do it in some places. Sure. Um, but and. I was, I'm very lucky that to me, it's all the same. I, I feel pretty much the same as I did. Like, I like it all. I remember seeing Kiss two weeks I later. I remember the Kiss Army. So, and, and yep. this was in 77. Yep. When they were, the, sh the sound check must have run late. I know that now because otherwise, why would the doors be late? I didn't know that then. Mm hmm. Everybody was outside in Kiss makeup and black t shirts with solo record covers on the front and everything. It's one of the Mobile Municipal Auditorium has those doors all the way around it. Asbestos dome, you know, classic asbestos right. dome. Air, <laughs> giant air filter. Yeah. And <laughs> that's what it looks like. It the is. doors were late. And within 10 minutes of after door time, you know, 6 o'clock, 6.30, whatever it was supposed to be, enough plate glass was pushed in to where everybody went inside. Yeah. And I was carried in the crowd off my feet. I was, yeah. I was 12. Yeah. So I was carried up off my feet, sort of like the who in Cincinnati, you know, uh, going towards a piece of plate glass. And I managed to elbow some people and get out of the way. And then and then I walked about five feet to my left and I walked right through like what used to be a door. And um, but then two weeks later, I saw John Prine, Jerry Jeff Walker and Keith Sykes. And Keith Sykes is a Memphis guy, sort of like those guys, like more of a folk singer, country guy. Yeah. Wrote songs for Jimmy Buffett. He wrote Coast of Marseille and Volcano. Did, did well but i saw that two weeks later and to me it was the same thing like gene simmons spitting fire and john prine singing dear abby with no band it was all the same to me because i had heard it on the rate the, the radio yep. and it was all magic and so that's that tells you a little bit about where i'm coming from i'm just like to me it's like if it's good music whatever that means to me then i'm i'm excited like, I, it doesn't have to be. Oh, Common Sense would tell you not to look to Joe and John for this, but time for life lessons from Joe and John. I was, I jumped the cue there. John was a shit. That, 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 that did not go well. John was a TV guy. He I'm out of here. A radio guy like me where you got to live in the moment. That was an over-under. And feel it. <laughs> it so was. <laughs> the 20-second donut. Here's a sweeper, Will. 
Oh God, sweeper. Amateur hour. Amateur hour. So, uh, radio was a big impact on you. What? Where were you? And what song or what era was it when you heard your band on the radio for the first time? Probably somewhere like Tuscaloosa or or Nashville, driving into town to play a gig, either at uh, one of those clubs in like Solomon's in Tuscaloosa or um, or the Ivory Tusk, or to play the Exit Inn in Nashville, and you turn on 91, 91 Rock, Rock or 90, 91 in Tuscaloosa. They were all down there on the left of the dial as the, the replacements. Were. Yeah, and um, and so you hear it on the radio, and you're you know you're just like we're on the radio, and and there's a excitement. There's also sort of like a, you kind of knew it all along in a way because just the way the times were, it like it made sense that you would, uh, and then, uh, you know, depending on your, your situation, it was, you know, we ended up getting getting the major label record deal, which you know, in the grand scheme of things, didn't really do that much, but you can't take anything out of the story and be where you are right now. That's that just the way the it goes. That was the goal back then. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to ask you, my wife and I just watched, we, we dig up these um, uh, independent uh, old uh, documentaries. We watched one the other night with, I'm going to get this right, the, the uh, Brian Jonestown Massacre and oh, yeah. the Dandy Warhols. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. And what a train wreck. I mean, what a just, uh, take success and try to ruin it in eight, and be a complete jack wipe in the whole why why is that why why do so many these talented people they have the break they've got the thing they they just well that's what rock man. that's part of what rock that's, and roll is it's all part of the romance. is to, is to refuse to romance. cooperate yeah i mean and that's that's what you're taught but i mean <laughs> and you have people that have done that that are still around iggy pop still around still playing all the big festivals in europe with his shirt off he's like 80 and, and it's amazing. So there, there are examples of like, you know, Jim Morrison didn't make it. Um, those guys, he didn't make it through another day of breathing. Yeah. But those guys, uh, Brian Jonestown guy, still around. Uh, he's still in. He's lives in Berlin. I, I follow because I think he's a great. His music is great, and he produces right. great music. And so he's in a way made it because you know you get to our age, or and it's like, well, I'm still alive. I'm still doing what I love you have to redefine success because otherwise, you know, you're a flop. If you're in rock and roll and you're not playing in an arena or, or at least playing the, the state fair, playing your one hit, I smoke some candy, you know, um, you know, or whatever. I mean, that's a good band too. Marcy Playground's a good band. But I mean, you if you have a hit, then you're going to be playing song. the state fair and playing your song last so nobody leaves before you're done. That's right, which is still a blessing that oh, yeah. you still can do your thing. But uh, All a blessing. if you internalize as an artist, you're like, ah, that's what I'm going to be known McCartney, for. McCartney, when do, when do people go take a leak at McCartney when he plays the new song? Right. Yeah. <laughs> the greatest, arguably the greatest of all time on a given moment. That's right. Uh, 40 songs. Everybody knows every single lick yeah. and word to. And then he plays, here's my new single. And everybody's like, you got to take a leak. I'm going to get a beer. Let's get a hot dog. <laughs> uh, Will Kimbrough so. is the voice you're hearing. And um, which, which, uh, Will's solo records, to me, are, are just your best. You're still making great, great music. And uh, you guys with Will and the Bushman did the van. You've toured 
every dumpster with a bar forever. Yeah. Now you make a great living uh, playing with other people. You've been playing with Amy Lou Harris. Uh, you wrote songs for Jimmy Buffett. Mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about that. Yeah. That whole yeah. story uh, for a second. So uh, is it more fun to serve? You know what I mean? You're writing songs and you're not the main guy. You're going to play with Buffett or Amy Lou Harris and get a good paycheck and yeah. just do your job and go back home. Is that more of a fun period for you? Uh, it, to me, it all it all folds in together because I'm still going to go do my own stuff. I'm still going to get in my car or the van and go play the small venues on my own. Sometimes a festival, you know, but mostly small venues. And so, but then I get to go. Hey, it's not all about me. I'm with Emmy Lou Harris, who I've been listening to since I was a kid. I get to sing a duet with her, sing a harmony with her. I get to play guitar. the The list of guitar players for is, you know, Albert Lee, James Burton, Ricky Skaggs, Buddy Miller. Vince Gill. I mean, you know, it just goes on and on. And I'm the guy now. So I don't hold myself in that same category. But statistically, I'm in that same category. So, um, and then Buffett, that's the greatest thing ever because it's super fun. Um, Like another person I've been listening to my whole life. And he's super cool. He's a great songwriter. He likes me for some reason. And we just finished five more songs for his new album. So I've got over 20 songs on Jimmy Buffett records. And so I played on the last six or seven records, got to sing. I got a little featured part on this one. I'm an honorary coral reefer. All I can say wow. is who, who knew that would happen, you know, but also to me, the penultimate of it all and the most rock and roll thing I've probably ever done is songwriting with soldiers. And I've been doing that for about six years. And now I'm part of the team that goes into these post-traumatic growth programs to help folks that are struggling just to make the transition from combat life, military life, to civilian life, back to their families, back to their friends, back to a regular job without that intense camaraderie and intensity, but also with this trauma in their lives. So I'm not a therapist or anything like that, but I work with these people that know. And so they insert you into these situations and, um, and you literally pop in for a night, listen to people tell their stories, write a song with them out of it, come back the next day, go over how you did it, and split. So it's like a 36-hour trip. That's and fascinating. Is this, great, like, is this like therapeutic? Is, is this something? What, so you get, what did they, so they get a song that's they, their story of their, their, of their story. Their painful story, often painful right. story, not sure. always, but often painful story that... <laughs> Is, I won't go into forever about this, yeah. but but just to say that one of the hugest symptoms of PTSD is you're disconnected because you can't communicate with somebody because you just know they won't understand. Mm-hmm. Whether it's true you or not, there. it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether your wife or your kid or your friend would understand or might. You can't risk it because it's literally like a matter of life and death. Like you, and, and I don't want to be a buzzkill, but I'll just say the amount of veteran suicide is it's huge. awful. Ridiculous. Awful. Yep. So, underreported, so that's why this about exists. under everything. Yeah. So totally agree. So songwriting with soldiers does these retreats with people for the weekend. I just did one uh, last weekend, but we've also been contracted in by by a retired Navy EOD diver, and that's the people that dismantle, you know, go to a bomb instead of walking away from it and dismantle it. Um, oh, and they're in all the branches of the military. He was like, "These people need my people need something X uh, else." So he started this thing called Warrior Path. And it's a post-traumatic growth program. It's amazing. And the songwriting is just a little bitty part of it. But we have to go, like next year, there's 157 of them going on from Maine to Florida to California to Washington to Montana to Texas. And so I'll fly all over the country and do this work. And to me, that's what what I'm saying is like that sort of guerrilla warfare, forgive the military simile, but 
like when you're in a band and you pop into town and you yeah. play and you or as James Brown would say, kill him and leave. <laughs> and so, so this, you get to do this, this way. It's like, I've learned how to write a song and I've, I've raised kids with my wife. And so I know how to listen and sort of herd the cats a little bit. And so, you know, I can get eight people talking to me and, and be typing it and then like find these key phrases. Cause there's nothing like people telling you their deep truth to find some beautiful language that can be, rough and tough or like beautiful like some big tatted up you know ranger guys like got a tear in his eye and is telling me this stuff and it's like you're writing down some kind of poetry and then you sing it back to people and they don't even recognize their words anymore even though i'm, I'm sometimes as much as possible singing their verbatim words to them and they're like how'd you write that man and you're like i just wrote down what you said yeah and the, and the, and that's the that's the, he, the healing part of it is that someone listened enough to to remember exactly what you said and then Turn it into like, for lack of a better word, well, let's just say a song. Turn it into a song, like a whatever kind of song. Well, I mean, Joe, what what the hell have you done today? Because well, I feel well, I feel like a worthless. But I mean, you know, what an incredible. But it's lucky to get asked. Reason, to, sure. To I mean, so that to but, me is so that's the answer to the question. Is it more fun to work for other people? Like in the, in terms of, so I I I do my own stuff, and that's a blast. I do Emmy Lou stuff, and that's a blast. I do Buffett stuff, and that's a blast. I do that work with veterans and first responders, and that's a blast. So, so it just keeps me way too busy sometimes. I'm just kind of coming up for air from the weekend. I mean, I've been home. I've been doing stuff at home in the home studio. We're, we're putting our living room back together after a remodel and all this stuff. But I'm still recovering from like We wrote eight songs over the weekend with six military couples, combat veteran couples, and it is – the most it's the greatest thing but you are just fried like like bacon you know at the end and um and i'm not i'm I probably shouldn't even be talking like that because it's not about that but but it, there's nothing more fun than that and then playing the concert rapid 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 fire rapid fire rapid rapid fire Just, oh, God. I know. I just, that was just. Oh, my God. Let's play rapid fire. Let's play rapid fire rapid. after uh, after talking about combat thing. I just, I, I, I was trying to anticipate your thought wrapping up, and I, and I, I suck at this. Oh, I just, I'm not you running do. the board anymore. Why did you put that thing over here? I don't know. I know. Oh, it might, just, I'm not, I'm not mature the, enough to handle out it. Out of 30 shows, that was one of the best stories we've ever heard. Yeah. And then yeah. it's like spinal I'm tap. cutting to some things. And and just, oh, no, yeah. I, 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 oh. I just. Oh, that was so good. Well, um. <laughs> Why is this segment? That, that was, uh, but um, maybe an end to that story. Isn't that the biggest blessing of being a songwriter, though, is kind of being the acknowledger of you get to see what we all see, but you get to put it in music and sing it and make it beautiful. That's the that's the God's blessing to you. That's your uh, gift and talent. That yeah, uh, it's it's it, the, that's now exposing and coming out more after you know years of pounding the road and all about yeah. me and this and that and the other trying right. to move forward. This is really what you were built for. Yeah, it's like the thing the the light at, at the end of the not i haven't been in a tunnel but the light at the <laughs> brightest light at the end of a well-lit highway you know it's like i'm going to vegas and there it is you know congratulations that yeah. you've discovered that and that yeah. others uh how did you get hooked up with this entity of, of of doing that i played on a record called rifles and rosary beads by mary gaucher which was a, a grammy nominated record and john prine beat her out for that one so uh but um 
and she had written all these songs with uh, combat vets and or couples or their spouses or like widows, you know, and um, and it's an amazing record. And um, and while we were in the process of recording it, she said, why, why aren't you doing this? And I said, well, I'm ready. So I got a call the next day from Darden Smith. He lives in Austin. He started it. And the people that are involved in it are a lot of Nashville people. Uh, Radney Foster, Daryl Scott, Beth Nielsen Chapman, Gary Nicholson, Radney Foster. Did I say that? Um, you know, mm-hmm. it goes on in Georgia Middleland, Gary Burr. So some of the best songwriters, and we uh, – uh, Trent Willman, I was with him last weekend in Georgia Middleman, and so just great. And so everybody realizes that everybody's like, "Oh, this is what I was one of you know one of the biggest reasons I was learning how to do this is so that I could do this." And who knew, you know, it didn't exist previously, so there was no way to even dream of it. So. Sure. Well, after decades and decades of war with these people, you know, you have kid uh, people who have kids that mm-hmm. are now old enough to go to the same absolutely event. So uh, just amazing yeah well congratulations oh man well where we are is in rapid fire are we some questions good they don't have to be rapid okay you don't have to fire an answer i won't real quick or i will maybe (laughs) so (laughs) what's uh you're probably in your all your travels you're reading something you're a reader what's a book you're reading now oh i like to read these uh these detective novels uh set in scotland uh inspector rebus by uh, ian rankin because it's just it just touched the seedy side of Glasgow and Edinburgh where I've been a million times playing. And I love those books because they're always the same. You know, the, it's the setting. Mm-hmm. So you get to know like Belfast or Glasgow, oh, yeah. even though I, I kind of know them in a sense, but you don't know them like the, the, uh, the cop crime level. <laughs> so it's awesome. Uh, dead or alive, uh, two or three dinner guests you'd like to have. Ooh, man. Lord have mercy. I'd, I'd, I'd love to bring John Prime back for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, man, this is supposed to be rapid. No. That's no, a hard not one. Not at all. No, it's not. no. It never is. Never is. Eddie Van Halen. Oh. Okay. Chuck Berry. Uh, we're going to have to have a seance <laughs> to make that happen. But What's, um, so you live on the backside of the clock a lot. Um, What's that mean? You know, they're playing a gig. They're getting a hotel midnight one yeah. and you're not getting up at 7 a.m 6 a.m or are you what's well, what's I'm a life- 59 years old i wake up at seven do you really mm-hmm. no matter what you're no matter two what. o'clock i mean we've raised two kids i mean they didn't care if i got in at three they jumped on me and daddy 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 sure and so now we have a little dog he's like daddy 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 so yeah <laughs> if nobody's there i hear daddy 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 there well, you're still in tour shape. You're in great shape. You look fantastic. What's a, Do you do this on purpose, or is it just luck that you still look good? What's your workout? Mostly, you, mostly you, luck. I walk a ton because that's the way to see if you're, you know, I know so many people that are on the road, and they say, I've been everywhere, and I have seen nothing. Oh, but I yeah. try not to do that because I, I, I re- you know, realized years ago that I'm in, I'm in you know, I'm in, uh, I'm in Rome. I'm in Rome, Georgia. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in Philadelphia, Mississippi, right. Nashville, Indiana. I'm in, I'm in Cuba, Alabama. That's it. I need to see the world, but I walk around. You know, get 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 off get off the bus when it stops, and then go be at the sound check on time. And you can see so much stuff. So I walk a lot. I mean, I try to do other stuff, but like going to the gym on the road is like going into another closed space. So sure, as I'll pop in there and. How do you lift a uh, weight, but I like to walk. What's your diet? How are you eating? We all have horrible jobs where that's like yeah. the last thing. Well, uh, my wife had breast cancer. My wife's a breast cancer survivor. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, 
And so when she had breast cancer, she wanted to go on this anti-inflammatory diet, which is like you can't eat anything or drink anything. Oh, great. Except for like a, gra- That's a, diet. a blade of grass. Yeah, yeah. But, here's some kelp. I mean, it's all that stuff. But she wanted to do it, and she had breast cancer, so I, by God, I did it. Yeah. And so uh, since then, I've hardly had a drink because I've, one of my mottos is I've had all the drinks. <laughs> Twice. I need I need that to be my bumper sticker. I mean, yeah. every night, Saturday night, when you're 22 and you're playing six nights a week, right? Am I right? Yeah. And so I just I just lost my taste. For, I had a drink last night because I wanted one. I had a tequila, and uh, and that was great. But um, most of the time I don't, and that was a big difference for me because uh, most of my calories for for several decades were in the form of beer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's horrible. Is that a song in your arsenal? I've had all the drinks. <laughs> Please write it. That's a brilliant title. The best sober country song you ever heard. Man. Awesome, man. <laughs> what uh, What are you listening to now? Like what What's in your? I don't know if you have a CD player or on your. I iTunes, have a record Apple player, Pie, and a you CD got, player, and a cassette what, 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 player. What's on the turntable right now? I listen. I, you know, I, I love this uh, uh, this Paul Westerberg record from like ten years ago called Stereo. It's just the songs are so great. I, I, I keep going back to it. He, he's got the greatest, like, he writes these line after line after line of just one-liners yes. that rhyme, and they never end, and he gets to the chorus, and then he starts again, and he's playing these guitar parts, so you just can't get around it. He's another example of a guy who did everything he could to sabotage his own career, and now he's like a dad who lives in Minneapolis and coaches the baseball team and hard, and. Well, the last thing he wants to get, do is get in front of a crowd. He's a sober guy, I mm-hmm. think. And it's like, he's just like, I can't do that straight. So I can't really? do it. I, uh, I think. I mean, he does it yeah. some, but I, I, I think I have, I think that, that he put on his suit of armor with like about a half ball of Jim Beam every night. And, oh, I agree. Don't Tell a Soul is the same way. Oh, man. Great songs. Yeah. And it's, that's, that's the best way to describe his songwriting. It's line after line after line. Does it necessarily go together? Not yeah. sure. But then the yeah. hook and a lead comes in, and you're like, damn, that was good. Yeah. And uh, just a, a, why why do why is that in? He's got one song called Dirt to Mud, and, and the line keeps coming back. It's like, as long as the sun turns the dirt into mud. And it's like, I'll be loving you, you know, but it's like he makes it so not corny and not like a power ballad. It's just he knows the truth, but he makes it fun and he makes you want to hear it over and over again. And that's just like you, it's almost like some kind of affirmation of your soul or something. It's like, God, what is that guy? How does that guy know me so well? He's an acknowledger. When, when, I, you, when you wish upon a star and it turns into a plane. Yeah. Um, it's just one after another. Why is it in the music industry that, you know, we're self-destructive? You know, why do you think you're more important than the other guy that right. you got to blow it all away? You don't well, see a brain surgeon or a pilot or a doctor or a lawyer or a CEO go, you know, I've got all the success in the world. I just need to tank it. Right. I think, it? I think sometimes you see them. I think sometimes they do it and it's just not in public, you know, um, uh, because rock and roll is that way, you know, you're supposed to, you're, you're and the, your heroes are, that's what you think they did. And whether they actually did it or not, or whether they just did it for a photo shoot, you know, I've seen the pictures of Keith Richards in his library where he's got his little half glasses on and he's reading a big leather bound history book. And yeah. then he goes, does an interview. He's got his skull ring on and a, you know, super size 
vodka and orange juice and a and eighteen packs of cigarettes, and I wonder is that his suit of armor that, that he puts on? And then he goes home and goes, "I'm gonna get out the old history book and sure. get a cup of tea." Right? <laughs> sure, I got to do an interview. Give me a give me a handle of vodka, you know, <laughs> and a carton of Marlboro. A handle. I got to put on my Keith Richards face, but I don't know. I may never know, but um, I do know. Like I work with Emmy Lou. I mean, she's the same all around because she's she's done it for so long. She figured out how to. If I'm going to sing at 75 and look good, I got to do these things. And you'll hear her warming up for two hours before every show. Discipline. But I don't know why people, I think, okay, here's one thing. They're young. They're young. When I, you know, when I got signed, I was 23. I didn't know anything about anything except how to play the guitar and how to play my songs. And I knew how to do that pretty well for my age. And that's why you get signed up. You know, you're the wonderkind, you know, and you're going to, and you're, they, you'll do whatever they tell you, and they can give you a crappy contract, and you'll sign it because you're 23. And so, and then you you get into it, and you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to be with these guys in the Miami Vice suits. These guys are cheesy. And I remember going to the CMJ College Music Journal like conference they used to have up in New York, and we were in this big suite on Times Square, and they had a big stereo set up, and we had brought. Uh, with the Stones Exile on Main Street had just come out on CD. And we put it in the player. We took whatever was like Mariah Carey out and threw it threw it in across the room. And we put in the Stones and put it in. And the new A&R guy for like Island Records came up to us, a young British guy. And he was like, what is this playing? It's fantastic. And we were like, uh, we just made up a band. We were like, oh, it's the it's the, the Rat Finks from, from you know, Tallahassee. And he was like, well, they're great. Are they signed? I was like, oh, no, they're not. You know, we're like, this guy doesn't know the Rolling Stones playing Tumbling Dice. And he's in charge of everyone's destiny. Yeah. If he sees a band, they either get signed or they don't. Yeah. So that's part of it, too. You're like, if if you got into it and you know all about music and you love it so much and, you you know, you, you love all the bands, you've gone to see them all, and then you meet the guys that, that are in charge of whether you get signed or not and they don't know anything about music, you get a little pissed, you know, you get a little jaded yeah. immediately. You're like, so who else, who else can we meet at this party and ask them a few questions and go, Jesus, these people are in charge of our career. Yeah. And they were at that point, we were signed. And so there is a little bit of jaded. Go. Hey. Joe and John have come to the fork in the road. I'm exhausted. Exhausting. I'm exhausted because I just, I'm so, I'm like, oh, I have to hit this next we little just I saw your I finger just, going over yeah, there. I know you did. You went. It's very inappropriate. <laughs> we have to have buttons to push, Will. It's, we all have to be cliches of ourselves. Oh, oh yes, we do. Our characters are. Oh, yes, we do. So. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, so, so, so you, you got signed at 23. Oh. You had this early fame. Fork in the road. Could be earlier than that. Earlier, early yeah. lack of fame. Yeah. <laughs> Did, did you, uh, do you have something or a moment that uh, uh, you had an opportunity to be signed or, or, or go off on this tangent and it didn't, because you have many layers to your career. You've done a lot of really cool things. Uh, do you have, I won't call it a regret, but is there a fork that you went, you know, could have been you suggested you regret though. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I'll tell you, here's, here's one for me. Our band, Will and the Bushmen are signed up to this label a part of emi capital records the beatles label you know biggest label in the world at the time we get signed they have a distribution meeting in atlanta at the ritz carlton where did all our budget go oh they all stayed a thousand people in miami vice suits stayed at the ritz carlton and drank martinis oh well okay but anyway we got invited to go play at it i'm glad you let it go we did get to see the who that weekend <laughs> at chastang park and uh oh nice 
But so we played at eight o'clock in the morning. So not our wheelhouse, especially no. then. <laughs> so they had little screens up on the wall. So I had never even, maybe a Stones concert I'd seen with had screens. This is the eighties. So you're not used to seeing yourself on a screen at eight o'clock in the morning, unless you're arrested or something. And so we play our set and I glance up at the screen and I see us and how we look on a screen. And I, I really thought we're not going to make it. We look just this, as this pasty as we working. should after yeah. last night's beer party. Yep. And, uh, and then that evening we got invited up to the president of the record company's suite, Charles Koppelman's suite. And he and Don Rubin were partners back in the day, had a label, had a management company back in the 60s and 70s. And then Charles was now the guy who made, wears that really expensive suit. Don's kind of the stoner A&R guy. He signed us. Don Rubin signed us. We go up to the guy's suite. A hotel room is two, you know, two doors, a long hallway. <laughs> you know, so you'll be thoroughly intimidated by the time you get to him. Right, sure. All we can see at the end of the hall is a wing chair and a, about a foot of cigar sticking out. And a foot kind of wagon, cro- legs crossed, and like one of those rich guy loafers with no socks. Sure. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. French shoes, yeah. And, um, and, and you can hear him on the phone, like, chewing somebody out. It's, it, who, uh, for all I know, it was staged. Of course. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The phone wasn't even... Get right. me radio. Was drop it, those. It drop them. Right, right. Send those idiots packing, you know. And, and we walk in... You couldn't in have blocked this any better. Like, this or, is, or worse. Or and worse. He, and he... He waves us to a couch, giant leather, leather, pleather couch in the room. And so we sit down and then he, he holds the phone and he's like, we got some nice drinks coming. So just relax. And so we, he talks on the phone and then the cart comes in, we grab drinks and start drinking. And then he gets off the phone and he says, you know, I love Don Rubin. We've been partners 30, 40 years. He goes, I sign you guys basically as a favor to him. I don't hear it. Have have a drink. Have a drink. Are you so, all that's, that's, side, that's, Are you guys sitting side by side on one couch? Yeah, not like exactly a bunch new of little kids. Oh yeah, <laughs> not so exactly the pep talk. Our, our record has wow. come out like three weeks before, and so the uh, ouch. Well, it was, and but we. I mean, we toured for a year. Yeah. We kept going because we, you know, we had we did have fans out there, and we and yeah. we, and where they did like where the uh, radio promotion guy did actually did his job. Like for instance, out in Phoenix, Scottsdale. First time we ever played there, we had a thousand people and they sung along to our song. Yep. And the Gin Blossoms were the opening act. Um, and so you saw how it could work. Yep. And then maybe one or two other places where, where the guy was like excited to see us and had actually gotten the radio station to whatever you do to get the radio station to play your song. And, um, which probably starts with just picking up the phone. Sure. <laughs> so do your job. And everywhere else they'd be like, Oh, you guys are in town. I'm sorry, I forgot. Are you guys playing at the blah blah uh, blah? You know? And um, well, if I have time, I'll take you out to dinner, you know, and then um which does I don't care about dinner. I just want my ra- song on the radio, but yeah. So you just find out how it works. And if the if the corporation's not into you, then it's not gonna happen. Somebody's gotta stick their job out on the line and say, I believe in these guys. Yeah. And and so you know, uh, there's a guy in town, Dan Baird, who was in the Georgia Satellites, and he's a great wise man of that. You know, he always has these great things to say. He always says, well, you're in music. It's snack or famine. You know, and another one is like, you, you handed your, you took your, your beautiful football you made and you handed it off to them. Now they have it. Yeah. You don't have it anymore. Yeah. You made it. They have it. Yeah. They own it, in fact. They give you a little piece of rent for it every once in a while if it makes rent. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Will oh. and the Afterthoughts. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's, that's, that's good, right? I mean, you, if, if you could have just had somebody 
be proactive and make those calls and 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 do the groundwork, right? Well, Steve Gorman from the Black Crows would mm-hmm. say guest on this show. All right, so he you know he told me because we were working in, in a band together at one point in the last ten or fifteen years for a brief period. Trigger hippie. Yeah, yeah, and 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 there was somebody we knew that we were discussing why they somebody the most talented person we ever knew. I don't want to name their name because I don't want to talk this way about somebody, mm-hmm. but somebody who's as talented as anybody we've ever even seen or been around. It's just as far as musical and charisma to an audience, why they hadn't made it beyond where they are. And, and Steve said, if you in rock and roll, especially if you don't have the great manager, the minute the industry sees you, then you're kind of lost at sea that you might have a career like mine, uh, which has been great Mm -hmm. in the end. Um, but you're not going to be have that hit or that record. Like he just said, the black crows had that person Mm -hmm. and they had that person up until the end when the brothers imploded and, and basically said goodbye, just threw in the trash a career where they could just go to Europe in the summer and live in nice houses and drive, uh, you know, German cars and send their kids to private school. Like, we don't want that. Ah, so he's, but that, but that was very, you know, that gave me some, uh, it kind of was like, oh, now it makes more sense. Like we didn't have that person, so n- now I know that it was probably impossible for us to make it. Uh, and I, I, and I to totally know that now is like, well, it's not really my fault. It doesn't matter. We did the fun stuff, sure, but you did it, and you always had enough success to keep moving forward. Oh, you yeah. know, when you played that Phoenix show, you're like, the machine works, damn it, right? And um. It's all timing, isn't yeah. it? You know, you mentioned getting signed to a major label, which really is a disaster for some bands. Because if you get signed to, say, CBS Records back in the day, uh, that was Bruce Springsteen's label. So when Bruce Springsteen has a record coming out, or Will and the Bushman or Government Cheese has a record coming out, guess who's getting all the push? Right. And so you're down at the bottom of the barrel, unless you're fortunate enough to have a song that really just skyrockets on radio. And and through my 20-plus years of radio, you know, the A&R guys would come in, oh, man, check this out. And they throw 10 albums against the wall and maybe one or two hits, mm-hmm. and then the rest of them fall to the side. Yeah, And so, but you're still one of those label bands. You, you, you can around. tell Joe, Joe has let it go. You know, he's, he's, <laughs> well, he's clearly. It's just, it's a competition, whether no, you're a golfer, a baseball player, or a musician. Yeah. Uh, you know, some, some ride the mid-level their whole life. Mm-hmm. Mid-level, but have a great career and have a great life, but you're always judged on, oh. I have a know, buddy with yeah. a World Series ring from the 72 72- reds and he was a minor leaguer but he played enough innings back then i don't know if they did they probably don't do it anymore now because of budget so they don't want to pay for the ring or something but <laughs> back then if you played this many innings then you qualify and I they if won the got, world series you got a ring that's cool. i wonder if you got it he was voted any shares for any money do you know uh, you don't know that he <laughs> but he has the ring yeah he has the ring Does yeah it? okay Watch All right, out. watch out! Here watch we out. here we go! Watch out! Watch. Three, something's gonna two, something's gonna happen. Yeah. You gotta wear shades. Well, after we made that trog through the music industry, mm, um, painful. You fought through all that, though. So for decades, 30-plus years, 40 years, maybe mm-hmm. uh, you are still doing it. The future's bright for Will Kimbrough. Um, I think in your songwriting with our military folks and PTSD, but what keeps you going where you wake up at 7 a.m. and go, damn, I got a song in my heart, or you still probably love traveling. What's uh, what's what's making the future bright in Will Kimbrough's world? Uh, finishing up, mixing a new album uh, right over 
couple miles from here. Uh, young engineer Dylan Aldridge is mixing my record. And uh, so that'll come out probably. I'll put put out some singles in the fall and p- put the record out next year. Uh, I've got a songwriting with Soldiers trip in a couple of weeks to Georgia. I've got Emmy Lou Harris gigs this weekend Excellent. and next weekend, and then oh, wow. solo gigs and a songwriting camp I'm doing, and then more songwriting with Soldiers. So I mean, I'm and I'm also I've produced three Shamika Copeland records, who's sort of some people call her the Queen of the Blues these days, and um and. The last two were nominated for Grammys. We're hoping that we make another one and it gets the Grammy, but uh, whatever. Uh, the main thing is we're writing for that. So for me, it's like there's always something. Projects just overlap and overlap and overlap. So there's always something that I'll kind of wake up in the morning and go, I really need to demo those Shamika songs that we're working on because we're recording in November. So she needs to hear them. She needs to okay them. And then she needs to learn them. Because we write for her. She's like consciously not a songwriter. She's like, I'm not a songwriter. But we talk about what to write about, and then we write them. And the, and the different, like, we need more up-tempo rock and blues songs so we can get these guest guitars. We've had uh, Jason Isbell, and we've had Dwayne Eddy, and Webb Wilder, and all these cool Nashville people. And also uh, Kingfish Ingram, who's young Mississippi heir to the blues. Yes. You know, um, and... Uh, so we've had a lot of good guests, so we're making another Shamika record. That's another thing that I've been doing, but I, and I forgot it, to mention it earlier that we've been I've written about. I mean, with this new record, I'll have over twenty songs that I've written on Shamika's records that I've produced, and and two of them, two have been nominated for Grammys. They all they've all won like the Blues Awards, Best Contemporary Blues Record or Best Singer, one Producer of the Year once. And I mean, I never thought I was a blues producer, but if you I guess if you listen to enough Stones records, yeah. <laughs> you know about something about. Sure. But I, I, I do. I like the blues and I like the, the stuff that I love. So anyway, that so I'm doing. So there's always overlap of projects. If you're full time freelance music person, so it's like your own stuff, the Soldier stuff, Emmy Lou stuff, Shamika stuff, Jimmy Buffett stuff, and then whatever else happens. I produce other people. I've produced a couple of Todd's. I produced East Nashville Skyline for Todd Snyder, which is one of the great to me americana records of the 21st century sold over a hundred thousand copies in the you know which was uh awesome. on john prine's label finger snaps yeah you, so, you, know, you know what's so great about this and and i don't i don't know you and i know joe does and you guys have history we got um, history, history. You're, I, got beef. You're, you're, I got beef i've played drums behind you buddy you have you're, I, uh, I, that made me uncomfortable yeah <laughs> Because he had his shirt off, probably. It was, uh, it was but 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 to <laughs> do this, great. to have project after project, to do this, um, your reputation, um, your talent, your reputation, your passion, your uh, collaborative spirit, all that. I mean, to do this, longevity does not always mean greatness. But your to do it at a high level and have it recognized, you know, Grammy nominated and all this. I mean, wow. Do you ever reflect and go? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be because you're you're a good guy. I mean, bottom line, yeah. you're you're somewhat you're not high you're not high maintenance to work with. I mean, your body of work and and your continuation of work on all different layers and projects is that's a that's your reputation out there. And that's do you? I'm not that well, you're going to pat yourself. On there's the back, a kind of charisma. You know, I'm going to pat you. Something just occurred to me about something we talked about throughout this, which is why do people in music like why do rock and rollers or even country singers like just shoot themselves in the foot over and over again, right? There are people who are so charismatic in their own way that they can do it and still survive, right? I've seen 
someone that is not like the biggest star, but their career is great and they can kind of go anywhere in the world and play like a theater and sell it out. Mm-hmm. I've seen that person um, be late for hours late for everything, making the band and the crew and the label person and the management wait. And, and I was at the Smithsonian Institution for a tribute to Hank Williams, and this person was two hours late for this news for this press conference. One of the people on the panel was Hank Williams' steel player, Don Helms, who was like 85 then. And so this person's making this 85-year-old man who played with Hank Williams. I mean, to me, that's like making Mick sure. Jagger wait or making, you know, uh, Paul McCartney wait. You know, it's... It, and yet, when that person came in the room, that person got a standing ovation. Always forgiven. So that kind of charisma. Crap. You know if you have it or you don't. And I don't. That's okay. But I know I don't. If I'm two hours late, somebody's just going to be like, where have you been? You God. We've, you know? We're done. And so those people were getting her. I mean, she, this person even sat down at the podium and demanded coffee from right. Starbucks. Before any questions can be asked, so we had to wait another forty-five minutes while somebody went out God. into DC and found a Starbucks. So, but also, I love this person and this person's work. <laughs> How diplomatic can I be without making you vomit? But, um, so that's that's one thing is you get to know your if you're smarter than a piece of like a cow turd, then you can probably figure out whether you're that person or not. And then you can figure out where you can fit yourself into situations and have fun and make a living and then continue to do what you do. And that's why you get at, like when I walked into audition for Emmy Lou, I wasn't the best guitar player. I couldn't play the most fast country licks. I'm not that kind of player, but she knew I could sing and everybody in the band jumped up smiling, and gave me a hug when I walked in the room. So she was kind of like, okay, this is the guy that'll get along on the road. Right. And he can probably play guitar well enough for the 2,000 people that paid $100 to hear me sing will not be, you know, like, sure. who's that clown on the guitar, you know? You've got to be a normal person. Yeah. Um, do you have, do you got a website? Yeah, willkimbro.com. Willkimbro.com. Kim, K-I-M-B-R-O-U-G-H. And you brought in a cassette. Well, it's my phone. Oh, it's your phone. I did. I thought I was about to get a pencil out and have to turn it to make sure it's Hey, I do have a cassette. I listen to cassettes all. We had some people over for dinner last night, and I played mixed cassettes all night that I made this year. Oh, this year you made. It's a good It's a good way to, if you have some extra time and you don't want to do something like that your wife wants you to do. <laughs> make a mix cassette. I'm making a mixtape, honey. Yeah, I can write mixtape on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. When I think of mixtape, I think of uh, of of James Taylor, uh, Ambrosia, yep. and bread. I'm trying to think, and a bread. And I brought it down to Fort Lauderdale for spring break, and it was magic. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. all you need to make know. Out that mixtape. That mixtape right. was uh, uh, money. Yeah. That was good stuff. We're going to wrap up this show and go listen to Yacht Rock on XM Radio. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Willkimbro.com. Will, you're just a great talent. You've got a great story, and you got a lot of years left at it. God bless you. Congratulations. Thanks Thank for you spending guys. some time because you uh, you don't let a lot yeah. of grass grow underneath how, your feet, dog. Will, yeah. how long have we been talking to get you on this show? For uh, weeks. 
if not months, months. yeah yeah and like, months we we'll, had to go through his agent and then his agent yeah. was returning phone just, calls and he didn't yeah. you know he didn't lay the groundwork and so no, he's uh, he travels and yeah. uh it's good yeah. it's, i forgot to demand coffee that's it, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> i'm second cup of joe and john great it's the second cup of joe and john as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email the show, John at gmail.com. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John. <laughs>